Private debt has had its share of challenges as of late, including the pressure that rising interest rates have put corporate borrowers under. It's also been a tough period for fundraising, as investors have contended with the denominator effect and capital constraints due to a lack of distributions. But in spite of all this, the asset class is still viewed highly favourably, both in its own right and relative to other investment options, as pricing, yield and deal documentation all move in lenders' favour. Craig Packer is co-president of Blue Owl Capital and an industry veteran who is a senior investment banker prior to moving over to the private debt side of the fence. Both he and his firm have witnessed the evolution of private debt firsthand. In this episode, sponsored by Blue Owl, Packer will discuss the growth opportunity for direct lending. It might seem like an investment area that's already achieved remarkable growth, but according to him, there's little prospect of that momentum slowing anytime soon. I'm Andy Thompson, Senior Editor for Private Debt at PEI Group, and this is Spotlight. Direct lending has become the leading strategy in private debt in recent years, accounting for most of the overall fundraising volume. But do all good things ultimately have to come to an end? And if not, where will future growth come from? I get this question a decent amount because the asset class has grown you know, quite a bit. From my perspective, it's grown off a fairly modest base. And there's, as you alluded to, lots of opportunity for future growth. I think our firm, Blue Owl Capital, is an example of that. And we are seeing you know, demand and trends pointing to lots of future growth over the next few years. I think the perspective that I bring to it is to think about direct lending just as a piece of the leveraged finance market, because that's really the market we serve. And you'll see different sizing around the leveraged finance market, $4 trillion, $5 trillion. You know, These are big numbers. Obviously, the other pieces, the leveraged loan market, the high yield market, and then direct lending is in there. And direct lending is still a fairly modest percentage of that marketplace. You'll see different numbers. I'll cuff it at 20 25%, up from maybe 10 or 15% a handful of years ago. Still a small percentage. And so over the next five years, you know, I think there's really easy opportunity for growth from that 20 25 for that to grow to 30 35 40%. Now, if you think about that relative to where we are now, that's quite considerable growth. That could be 50 50%, 100% growth. Why is it happening? It's happening because as bigger pools of capital have formed in the direct lending space, we are able to offer solutions for bigger and bigger companies. And those companies are choosing direct lending more and more. We're eating into the overall leverage finance market. And as bigger pools form, that will keep happening over and over again. There's a deal that you know has been in the press a little bit, a company called Finastra. That's a company that previously financed itself in the public markets it's $5 billion of debt. All that debt now is going into the private markets. So there's no new debt being created, but it's all going from the public markets to the private markets. As more capital comes in the space, the sponsors are using direct lending solutions more and more. And there's a lot of wind at our back that, that will continue. Of course, one thing it's easy to overlook is definition. Direct lending is no longer just one uniform product. It offers innovative solutions to a wide range of different companies and situations, including for firms that were once considered too large for the private markets. I asked Packer how he's seen the market evolve and what you need in order to stay relevant as a lender in today's competitive environment. I think if you went back eight or 10 years ago and a large part direct lending was for companies that for a variety of reasons might not have had access to the public markets. In many cases, they were too small to be relevant for the public markets 
or maybe there was a credit profile that the public markets wouldn't be interested in. And so it was for certain companies that just didn't have options. That's not the case today. And this has been the big sea change. Direct lending now is for the best companies, you know, certainly in the US that are large and that just prefer a private customized solution uh, arranged and financed by lenders that they know and trust directly, as opposed to going through an intermediated solution um, into the higher bond and leverage loan market. And so that's what's really given the growth. But to be able to provide that, the companies and the private equity firms, they want to work with lenders that have a certain toolkit, as you said. And what is that toolkit? One scale. They want to work with lenders that can write a big check comfortably and hold that amount. You know, They don't want a syndicated solution. They want to talk to lenders that can hold it. They want to work with people they know and trust. So they want to work with teams that they have history with. And that history is measured in decades, not measured in years, because inevitably there will be ups and downs in the life cycle of the company. They want to work with someone that can be there when times are tough and also when there's opportunities to grow and work with a lender that knows that. You have to have deep underwriting expertise. Our companies are private. There's no 10K that uh, you can pull up to analyze them. And they want to work with lenders that understand the industry, understand how to customize the financing, ask the right questions. It's a real desire for efficiency. Having to explain an industry to someone you know, for the first time, that's not efficient. You know, Having an investment team that has financed an industry for a long period of time. You know, The other things that maybe aren't so obvious, you know, we have significant investment in portfolio management, in information systems, in financing our portfolios, in the infrastructure, in the middle and the back office, um, in how we do what we do. Blue Owl has long experience in the direct lending market. But I asked Packer how, in a highly competitive market, the firm is able to stand out and how it's seeking to position itself now and in the future. We started the firm seven years ago. We were, you and I were joking earlier, to you that seemed like a long time ago. To me, it seems like a short time ago, considering how much we've grown. And I think that that growth is reflective of the great reception that we've got, not only from the investors who are clients and the funds, but also from the private equity community that we work with. When we started the firm, they, you know, many of them had not done a direct lending deal at all, or some of them had worked with some direct lenders, but they wanted to work with a firm that, as I was just alluding to, had scale. And we, you know, we were very fortunate from the very beginning of the firm. Our very first fund had about $12 billion of assets. So we could write that time a three, $400 million check which in 2016 was very differentiated. And it changed the conversation. You know, it opened up the opportunity to work with us on companies that sponsors had never thought that they could get a direct lending solution before. But capital is not enough. You know, my partners and I have been in this leverage finance space for 30 years apiece. So we had deep relationships with the heads of the private equity firms. And then we built out a really wonderful team um, our lead investment professionals have worked with these firms themselves for many years, so day-to-day coverage, and then a really terrific underwriting team, as we talked about. So I think that we're, in the private equity community, looked at as one of the few firms that is a go-to for almost anything a sponsor is looking at, new acquisition, add-on financing in most industry sectors that can write a big check, understands the needs, is flexible, can customize, and, you know, candidly, We've worked hard. We've had very few problems in the portfolio, but inevitably those happen. Um, We've worked hard to try to be very partnership-oriented when there have been. Certainly, COVID would be a great example of that. So today, the Blue Isle credit business that we started seven years ago is about $75 billion of AUM, which means we can write that billion-plus-dollar check, which really makes a difference. And so 
We've got the team, we've got the resources, we've got the relationships. And I think that's what sets us apart. We have particular domain expertise in certain sectors, software being the most prominent, software being the most active for private equity firms. That's a sector that we early on identified as offering unique characteristics that were worthy of raising separate funds against and, and really building what we think is the largest and most experienced software underwriting team. Packer's background is in banking, and as such, he has views on the future of the banks with indirect lending. I asked whether bank retrenchment will continue, or whether the banks still have a future, either as adversaries or as partners. I spent most of my career in investment banking running leveraged finance business, you know, previously at Goldman Sachs before launching the Blue Owl credit business in 2016. So you know, I've got a long lens and perspective on this. And you know, what I would offer as some observations is oftentimes, you know, I like to think about it, there's the secular and there's the cyclical. The secular shift has taken place over many years, which is the banks chose decades ago that in the leveraged finance business, their approach would be to use their balance sheet only to commit to deals on a short-term basis and then to distribute those deals into the public markets, the high yield market, the leveraged loan market, um, and earn a fee in doing so. And in good times, that can be an extremely profitable business. But by doing so, you are not a lender, you're arranging financing. And that decision was made 30 years ago, and the banks really, you know, for the most part, don't make leverage loans. Um, they just arrange leverage loans. And so it's just a different type of solution. As you well know, when you're offering that type of solution, the deals have flex. They're subject to market conditions. Um, there's an uncertainty to them. The borrower does not know who their ultimate lenders are because the debt will trade. It's public. All these features. So direct lending is just very different. You know, we have a direct relationship with the companies, with the sponsors. It's customized. It's private. It's certain when you sign your deal to buy a company and you sign our financing, the terms are done. You know, we're ready to close when you are. And they have found that that's a very attractive solution. So that's the secular shift. That's why, you know, direct lending has grown from 10% to 20, 25%. And I predict will continue to grow up. It's because the sponsors really like it and they're continuing to use it. Even some of the holdouts, you know, after during COVID, you know, they tried it. Now they're coming back more and more. Then there's the cyclical. And the cyclical is more a function of what's happening in the public markets. When the public markets get very volatile, like we saw six months, nine months ago, then even that distribution model gets tested because it's very hard to commit to a deal to distribute to the public markets when they're very volatile. If you're willing to do it, you're going to want to put a lot of flex. It makes it unappealing. Packer doesn't think that the banks have been completely expelled from the market. They have their place. But the newfound prominence of private debt means sponsors and borrowers now have more choice. And for certain types of deals, private debt is increasingly the winning option. For the last year, and we're coming out of this now, but for most of the last year, you know, the banks really weren't very excited about underwriting leverage finance deals. And so market share for direct lending became kind of 100%. And so you know, that was wonderful for us. Uh, we're kind of the only game in town, but that's not the normal state of affairs. And I think we're getting back to a more normal state of affairs, which is the sponsors have choice. They can talk to direct lenders. They can talk to the banks, see where the banks will commit. And they choose. I'll tell you more and more they're choosing direct lending, but they're certainly going to choose working with the banks, particularly when the environment is good. What are the types of deals where that will make the most sense? Well, certainly the very large deals that the public markets will have a lot of appetite for, the ratings profile, the credit profile in really strong times, that pricing in a best case can be very attractive. I'll say this um, as diplomatically as I can. We get terrific credit protections in our documents. You know, it's very important to us. And the public market documentation isn't as strong. 
And so sometimes that can be um, uh, appealing to a private equity firm to sell a deal into the public markets. So there's going to be this back and forth. Public market share is still more than 50%. So it's not going away. The banks will continue to play that role in times when the markets are wide open. They'll be doing deals. I, I would expect, I'm not going to call this the next six months, but I'll bet you in the next 18 months, there'll be a massive refinancing wave because we've had very little refinancing. There'll be plenty for direct lenders to do. There'll be plenty for banks to do. And there's a role for both. We have great relationships with all the banks. And I'm really appreciative of those relationships. I won't list names, but we work with 25 banks, US, global banks, Japan, Europe. It's very important to our business. They finance our business. You know, they advise us. We find ways to work together on individual deals. They're important relationships that we care about and they've treated us great. You know, there's ways we can do business together. The conversation turned from the banks to investors. On one hand, when we conduct surveys about investor sentiment, the message we get loud and clear is that direct lending and private debt in general continues to be a huge focus for them. Investors are very excited about it and they want to continue to increase their commitment to it. On the other hand, of course, things have been pretty difficult for investors recently, not least in the practical sense of actually having the capital to commit. So where do the investor community's priorities lie at the present moment? So I'll just point out that we serve two broad types of investors. We serve institutional investors. We also have a significant business in the private wealth channel. So we touch those clients as well. We touch them typically through some type of financial institution, um, an asset management business and a financial advisor. So we don't sell direct, we sell through partners, but we have a good sense of what the individual demand is. And I would say the demand in both sides continues to be very strong, institutional and wealth. It's quite exciting. Direct lending is still a relatively new asset class. The institutional investors, many of them went back three years ago, two years ago. It wasn't even a line item. It was oftentimes they would allocate capital for direct lending in some other bucket. Could be in their fixed income bucket, could be in some alternatives bucket, could be in a private equity bucket, um, even though obviously they're very different. And so what we've seen over the last handful of years is direct lending becoming its own asset class, could be called private credit, could be called direct lending, and institutions carving out a relatively small percentage and deciding to have it be a permanent strategic part of their asset allocations because they like the uh, yield, they like the return. Particularly, you know, when we had this period 18 months ago and rates started to go up, you know, your fixed income bond portfolio got really hurt. And so we saw some money coming out of that into direct lending and having that floating rate attribute. And so this is what has driven this growth is big institutional investors putting two, three percent. By the way, their private equity allocation is 15%. So you have some sense of order of magnitude. And but those small percentages from some very large institutions has provided a lot of capital for our space. Same story on, on the wealth side. The financial advisors that we work with like being able to offer to their clients consistent yield in their um, asset allocation, and they're putting single-digit percentages into direct lending or private credit funds, but it's a massive, obviously, pool of capital. So the combination of both of those things are what they want. Now, what do they want? It's really simple. They want consistent return. Almost never does a client say, I want you to get more yield. What they want to know is consistent return. And so we think we fit that really well. People have spoken a lot about how private debt and direct lending have faced challenges in the past because there are cycles all the time. And certainly during COVID, it was a different kind of challenge that the industry had to face. 
But now the spotlight is once again on what feels like very different market conditions from what people may have experienced before. So what does Packer think about direct lending's challenges and how it might now be perceived in terms of its ability to adapt to these circumstances? We've been having this conversation at the beginning of the year, given where rates were and rates were expected to go. I would have said to you that by the middle of the year that we'd be seeing some real credit issues in direct lending portfolios. I was prepared for that. I would have said I would have expected it. And I would say, you know, now we're coming back after the summer. And I think you have to say that direct lending has nicely outperformed expectations despite the dramatic rise in rates. I think that, of course, you have to acknowledge in that a lot of that credit you know, owes, gets owed to the U.S. economy has been very strong. And so despite the higher rates, you've had really strong economic conditions, particularly as all this post-COVID recovery has created a lot of demand that has been filtering through the economy. So the economy has been very good, and that has helped offset the higher rates. You know, I think you also have to give credit to the sponsors who have done a nice job managing their businesses, getting ahead, cost-cutting, delaying you know, acquisition programs to make sure they've got the cash to service the higher debt. Some had hedged and done a nice job hedging. So I think that I kind of view it as we're, we're halfway through the year. You know, I, don't, I wouldn't say we've survived. I think the rates are still high and the economy um, continues to be good. And I think that the feedback that I get from clients is they're very pleased with our performance. But you know, I think there's still some risk out there and we can talk about that. I asked him to elaborate on that because from what he's saying, it sounds like we can't yet say private debt has passed its major test, which is how people often frame it. It's been very encouraging so far, but presumably we can't be too complacent yet in terms of actually saying, yes, we're ticking the box, the test is passed. I certainly would still be very cautious about that. I think you'd be naive to think that given where rates are, that this is, not the, this is not the time to spike the football. I'm optimistic that private credit will do really well, even over the next six to 12 months. But I think that we'll all feel better when we get through the next six to 12 months and can prove that out rather than just predicting it. A lot of this is going to hinge on the economy. You know, everything I'm seeing for folks that do this for a living, you know, keep seem to be feeling like the economy, we might avoid a recession. And that, that would obviously help. And I think even a mild recession Direct lending will do better than expected, but the higher rates are pinching the company's cash flows and they need to continue to have good demand for their products. I think fundamentally my message is that I think direct lending will come through this with a real test and we have passed that test and surprised to the positive what some had, had feared. I mean, there's a lot of negative, you know, people write things sometimes that, that honestly I think lack any real sense of perspective on what, what will happen direct lending. I think it'll be manageable for the lenders. I think it could actually be totally fine for the equity. But if the economy gets weak from here, um, I think the lenders will continue to do fine. You know, the equity holders will have more challenges. I think ultimately that's a great story to tell about direct lending. I bring the conversation back full circle to the point Packer was making about the further space that direct lending can still occupy. What does he think people will be saying about the direct lending market in five years' time or even in 10? I think you're going to see continued growth. You know, when I, we talked about our business and I can tell you where I think what we're going to do, there's considerable demand around the world for U.S. direct lending. Um, we're investing in our client teams in the Middle East, in Asia, in Europe um, for funds that are structured for those markets to bring capital back to the U.S. The wealth channel will continue to grow. So the capital is going to continue to flow into the space as long as the space performs, which I think it will. 
in terms of demand from the borrowers. I think the bigger firms will continue to um, be successful. I think the sponsors will focus on the bigger firms. The investors will focus on the bigger firms. And so scale is going to continue to be important. I think that what we hear from the private equity firms is they want us to offer them more flavors. And so different price points, they're willing to pay the appropriate cost of capital, but they want, if it's a lower risk deal, they want a chance to borrow lower amounts more flexibility. They're willing to pay for it, but more flexibility on certain features that's important to them. Um, more sort of non-traditional structures, delayed draws and picks and revolvers and multi-currency. You know, the more flavors, the better to match the company's needs. The more we can do that, the more our product will be applicable. But they would like to work with us more. That's what we hear loud and clear. And I think the firms that can meet those needs um, on a consistent basis will be successful. I also think that we're in the early days around um, what I'll call industry specialization. I think that in five years, the days of just being a generalist direct lender will be over. You're going to really need to understand the sectors. And so in five years, the bigger firms will have a more specialized pools of capital, different price points, different sectors, different geographies. And the bigger firms, I think, will become you know key partners to the private equity firms and, and work on those deals. That's all for today. Thanks again to Craig Packer of Blue Owl Capital. If you want to hear more episodes of Spotlight, you can check us out wherever you listen to podcasts or at any of PEI Group's various titles online, including www.privatedebtinvestor.com. I'm Andy Thompson. Thanks for listening.